All right, welcome to the Nitty Gritty. We have a pretty cool guest this week, thanks to our executive producer, Brent. Is that your title? We just gave it to him. Yeah. Well, there it is. Congratulations. <laughs> We're not giving you a raise, but you can have the title. So, yeah, you're in the same word as as this guy. His name's Kalen Sharp. Bishop Kalen Sharp to yep. you. <laughs> but the founder, co-founder, and C- or previous CEO yep. of Dev Mountain, which I've heard of Dev Mountain, like, I mean, I've known a, that name forever. I never knew what it was. Yeah. But. Well, I have friends that have been students there. Right. See, I thought Dev Mountain was like one of those like startup incubators. Oh, okay. Like where we give you office space, like we help you yeah. get your startup off the ground, like development. I guess uh-huh. I always kind of thought of it that way, but I mean, very forward thinking. They wanted to teach people how to program and code and do all that. So it was... Well, it's so cool how we got there, right? Like so many different <laughs> businesses moving. Yeah. I mean, and he never gave up. He just kind of kept going until he found what he was good at and moving all over the country, changing jobs like that whole software engineer world, especially during that time, you know, 10, 12 years ago when things were just, everything was just fresh. It was like a clean slate and just bouncing around like crazy. So it is a classic nitty gritty story for sure. Well, and cool. He, Ended up selling it for a couple of years ago, and now like his new business, oh, his I think new is stuff's awesome too. Like it's fascinating, and his wife is still with him. <laughs> so you'll, you'll understand, understand how that's funny after the first twenty minutes or so. Gets brought up a lot. Yeah, their luxury was their bed. Their stability was the bed. Like when we get a bed, I know things are okay. Like I know we've made it. Yeah, it was mattress on the floor for a long time. Yeah, just very classic. Wins and losses, entrepreneur sacrificing. No business plan. You just go with it. Yeah. I mean, he was thinking, it's like, okay, what should I teach tonight? Yeah. Oh, man. I love that part of the story. Yeah. I mean, really, that is such a good one. But thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. We're we're loving the reviews. The ratings help us a ton. If you haven't given us a good old five star, just do a five star. If you're going to do it, you might as well just do a five star. (laughs) You know, say a few kind things, but uh, yeah, and support the people that support us. We never talk. We've got to start being better about perk. I know, and our affiliate codes. Like if if a guest has been on here that has a product you're interested, there's a really good chance that if you type in nitty gritty as the promo code, there's some kind of discount. You're going to save some money. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, any of the companies that have been on here, at least try. Yep. Thanks for listening. All right, guys, welcome to this week's episode of Nitty Gritty. We have Mr. Kalen Sharp, also known as Bishop, with us. <laughs> it's Bishop Kalen Sharp to you. <laughs> so thank you, here. thank you for coming. Yeah, it's great to be here. We've already had a lot of fun in the pre-podcast chatter. Had some... <sighs> it put me in a bad mood. <laughs> deep conversations, yeah. yeah. So Kalen, um, before we jump into kind of all of the fun stuff you've been doing, I'm genuinely curious... Um, like, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Talk about like how we got to here before. Yeah, 
I grew up in a tiny, oh, well, maybe tiny is the wrong word, small town in Nevada uh, called Elko. It's like a gas station stop on your way to Reno or to San Francisco. Um, yeah, and it was just like a small town with all of the things that small towns come with, the good and the bad. Uh, and my, my, my dad actually moved there with our family from an even smaller town in Nevada, if you can imagine that. And uh, it was like he was disowning the family. Like it was, he, he was moving like five hours away and he might as well have been moving to Canada or Mexico or something, you know? So we, we sort of like set up shop there. And my dad, um, he was a dental technician, which means he makes like crowns and bridges and whatnot. And so he found like a nice little niche market there. There was like six dentists and no local provider. And so he just kind of embedded himself there. And, and I watched my parents go through you know, uh, owning a business for, you know, my entire young and adult life and they still own their own business. They're still struggling through it. Um, and, uh, so yeah, grew up, grew up in a small town, came to Utah for, for school, ended up like many people kind of sticking around and getting married and then starting a business and then, uh, spent some time in the Bay area for a couple of years in a kind of a Silicon Valley, you know, venture funded startup that ultimately failed. And that was a super unique experience. Um, and then came back to Utah with just a ton of enthusiasm and excitement. And, and then that's when, that's when Dev Mountain started was in that era. But okay, yeah, that's, that's kind of the short, short story. Very cool. Um, coming to school, I mean, watching your parents go through business, was that something that just kind of clicked inside of you when you were young? Like the business, the entrepreneur, like kind of that mindset, is that something you kind of developed young? Yeah, I, I unknowingly and and in, in many ways unwittingly, right? So like I watched my parents struggle uh and, and to be to be honest, they've never really even in their measurements like succeeded at their business. It's always been a grind for them. I mean, day in and day out just like trying to, you know, make make the bills, uh try, tr- you know, trying to run that business in the middle of like technological disruption. They got to a point in the early 2000s where things were going pretty well and then like the whole thing got like turned on its head with outsourcing and, and things getting sent to Asia and um, like technology completely disrupting his business. And so it's like he had, he's had to start over at least two or three times in his career. And so if anything, I learned like get a stable job, like okay. don't do that because it, <laughs> it, I just watched my parents struggle through it for yeah. so long and still struggle through it. But then again, when I, when I was put in a position where this is what I'm going to do, it, it was way more natural to me than sure. I thought because I had lived it. Okay. Know? So when you came to school, did you come to school in the business route or were you going to a different direction? Yeah, I was completely rudderless. So I got to school. I was just like, I need a job. I need to get a degree to get a job. Like this is the path that I have to take. And I'm like trying to pick the most stable, like money generating careers I can. So like dentistry or medicine, it's like, okay, those all seem like good choices, but I had no idea why. And I remember, so I I kind of picked dentistry because, you know, it was like adjacent to my dad's thing. And I I took some pre-dental classes or whatever, doing the prerequisites. And I went and shadowed a dentist for one afternoon and watched him like fill root canals. And I was like, I cannot do this. I cannot You're like, see what's myself. the suicide rate with yeah, Dennis exactly. again? It was, Isn't it like the highest? It was, Hasn't it? No, I've heard that, yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Uh, dentists I've have a higher that. suicide rate than a lot of other professions. I'll Google it. Yeah, I just, I realized Interesting. that, I, I started realizing about myself that I was not going to be successful doing something I did not enjoy. Some people can do that. They can go to work, they can, you know, stamp their time card or whatever 
and go home and be totally fine. I could not do that. I, I just, I, f- I felt like I had to be driven by something other than just like money and, you know, whatever the career visibility was or, or whatever that is. Um, and what was funny was I was just recently married at the time. So my, my wife marries me thinking like, oh, dentist, stable life. Oh, yeah. This is going to be great. And then it's like I start having these awakenings and she's like, wait a minute. Like I thought we knew what our life was going to look like. You're all tricked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like bait and switch <laughs> worked really well. Uh, but I, the conversation, it was like really profound, not, not realizing it was that profound at the time, but the conversation with both of us went, well, I think I'm actually going to be a lot more successful doing something I care about then I will be doing something that has like guaranteed success yeah. on it. Right. And so she, you know, bless her heart, like took a leap of faith with me again uh, to just be like, all right, well then what is it? And, you know, and, and at that time I was, I, I had gotten a student job at, uh, at BYU independent study, which is they made online high school courses. And I got this job as a web editor and I, I've never been that great at like English or grammar, but for some reason I was the proofreader for these courses and it was really, I definitely wouldn't be good at that. (laughs) That is not, it was like, I think they switched my test with somebody else's because like I was sitting there thinking there's no way I should have this job, but I'm going through these courses like proofreading and I'm just like, first of all, it was fascinating to go through the whole like technological structure of how these courses were built. And then also seeing these, these programmers that were just like the rock stars of the workplace. Like, these guys just ran the show and they were students, like they were student, uh, you know, developers and even like the full-time salaried people that have been there for years would just be like, Hey, uh, Dave, do you think we can do this thing? And Dave's like, no, there's no way. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll make Wesley <laughs> next week. Like they ran the whole show, you know? And, uh, one day one of them walked in and he had like a brand new laptop and I was like, well, that's a cool computer. And he's like, yeah, I, I was doing some freelance work and I bought this laptop and I'm like, freelance, what's freelance, you know? And he'd earned like $2,000 doing some like freelance project. And I was like, my, I was just blown away that anybody could, would pay you $2,000 to like build. Something. Anyway, so I, I started having these experiences with technology and programming and like development and stuff that just, I mean, I found myself just constantly coming back to it and I really loved it. And so, so were you doing programming as well or were you just like proofreading that I was proofreading, but I started getting into more of like the structure of it and fixing things. And then I started learning, you know, I was building like websites on the side. I, I just started getting into it. It's this fascinating thing for me, web development. And at the time there wasn't really a great, um, like educational track for it. Like you could go to school and be like a computer science major. But I, I looked at the list of classes. I said, I saw nothing about web development. Like I couldn't even see where I would build like yeah. websites in there. Um, and when and was this? This was in 2004. See, that, that's what's crazy. It's, it's like a while ago, but like not that long ago. Not that long ago. And to think like that wasn't even on the radar. Yeah. I mean, and it was right after the dot-com boom. So I don't think there was a lot of like, yeah, web, the web is where it's at. It was still like software is needed, but this whole web thing we haven't really like bought into yet. You yeah. Know? Um, but I just loved it. And so I, you know, I started building websites, really got into it. And then my first job after high school, after high school, after college, um, was as a, as a software developer. Like that was, I just sort of pieced together my own degree. I took classes from this place, classes from that place, self-taught on the job. Like it was all just kind of this, you know, miss mix matched degree, and I, I got my, my actual degree was in Portuguese because I had, you know, served a mission in Brazil. And so I had all the credits and it was like, sweet, I'll get my degree in Portuguese. Um, so it was like problem solved. And then I got my first job and, and that was like how I got into my career was huh. just doing that. What about it? Like caught you? Like what about like the programming side? It was like, the, I, like you know, drew you in. Yeah. It power. Was power. Yeah. Like unlimited like, power. No, it like was. Everybody wants me. 
Like they can't do this. I wanted to be the rock star. No laptops. Uh, <laughs> laptops. Two thousand dollars. Uh, no, for for me, it was just this like dopamine hit of the feedback loop. Like you have a problem, you have the control over the environment. If you understand the rules, like you create something and then you see it like actually right. come to life. It, I mean, I'm sure it's similar for like an artist or for, you know, people that build like physical, you know, construction. It's like this, this just dopamine of like, I, there was the problem. I, I, I did something and here's the result. And it just feels good to see that, well, you know, happen. Then, it's like, there were so many things not even created yet. Yeah, it's almost like you just had this limitless supply of yeah. ideas you could put out there and things to work. I mean, I guess it's probably still that way. It will always be that way. But I yeah, mean, it was, was even more fun back. I, then. I had no idea the future was so bright. I mean, at the time, Facebook was just barely getting started. I think I remember signing up right after they stopped it being just like a university thing. Right. Like uh-huh. it was like now this is open. I was like whoa. And then Twitter, I remember signing up for Twitter in the very early days when it was just silly, like stupid. Why would you even write 140 characters about what you're doing right now? That's so dumb, you know? But it was like, it was all just fascinating to me to watch kind of this cultural technological shift away from the way we were used to doing things into like this online environment. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. You know, I started, my first job was working in like visitor centers with these kiosks that were you know, they were driven by DVDs and it was like, well, we could use like the internet and not have to use DVDs. Like it was this huge shift. Right. And, and, and so there were so many things like that happening all over the world and, and new things coming online. And suddenly the internet wasn't websites anymore. It was like applications were happening. Like you used to download software from, from, you know, the internet and run it on your computer or, or you'd buy a CD and like install it. Right. Now it's like, you don't install anything. You just go to a website and that is the application. Yeah. Gmail is the software. Right. Yeah. And, and I was just happened to be right there when it was all happening. So it was fascinating to watch, fascinating to be a part of. So your first job, did it take you away from school? So you came here to Utah. Did it take you somewhere else? Is that what went what took you to California? No. So I, I worked kind of a few jobs like the web development track. I started my own agency for a while. That's kind of a funny story because um, I, I never intended to be an entrepreneur. Again, I was still in, in, in this mode of like, I just want a stable job, like good retirement. Like that's how I'm going to be successful. And um, I ended up switching jobs. This was, um, I, had, I had a recruiter uh, hit me up and they were like, Hey, there's this company looking for this. And they, the salary they quoted me was like significantly more than what I was making. I was like, man, this is like a no brainer. If I can make 20% more and do the exact same thing, like, of course I'm going to do it, honey, guess what? We're getting a raise. Like, this is awesome. You know, that, that leap of faith you took a while ago, it's paying off. Like, here we go, bringing home the bacon. And then I show up my first day on the job and I was like, how do I set up my health insurance? And I'm like, what are you talking about health insurance? You're a contractor. You don't have any health insurance. And so what had happened was that like, there was like honey. a bait and switch. Yeah. So then I go home the next day. <laughs> but I remember news. how I'm so awesome. How was your first day? Oh, it was uh, not great because we don't have any health insurance and you're pregnant with our second oh, child. Oh, dear. So it was like, okay, what do we do? It was like this huge panic moment. Looking back, it, sh- it maybe didn't need to be as panicky, but in the state of mind we were, it was a huge deal. It was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And the decision was, well, if we're going to be, if we're going to be in this position of being contractors, let's like, let's be contractors. Let's like make an agency out of it. And so we, I got a friend of mine who was in a similar position and we started an agency and and ran that for six or seven years. Um, So that was my first like foray into entrepreneurship was like not even self-imposed. It was like just reacting to our environment. And, uh, and I found that once it was like, once I tasted the Kool-Aid, I I couldn't stop the freedom and like the, the empowerment. It was just magical. Like it was, was it all in development that first business? 
Yeah, it was development. We ended up kind of being a niche of like developing online learning stuff. So it was like we would help create like e-learning platforms or courses or, or things like that, tools. Um, so that was kind of our niche for that agency. Um, and then so then the, the pivot to San Francisco was after that agency kind of ran its course and agency life is so tough. Uh, running an agency business is really hard. And so... How come? Um, well, so if you think about it, you're always just reliant on the amount of work that's coming through the door. Like there's no, there's no recurring revenue as an agency. You're always just looking for the next project. It's all like project based. It's all project based. So it's really hard to grow because if you have like four projects lined up, first of all, you always have to overcommit because there's no way you can commit to these big projects without saying yes to something you don't have the ability to do already. Yeah. So you're always overcommitting yourself. Then you're trying to hire people to fill the need but then if that project's gone, you don't have another one to take its place. You're now firing those people. So it's just this constant feast or famine type of situation. Yeah. And I never figured it out. And I was just like, I was kind of ready to be more product driven than service driven anyways. And so I had a, a kind of a friend that I'd met. Um, his name's Mick Hagen. He's, he's actually still, he, he's back in Utah now, but. I don't um, think I played basketball with Mick. Yeah. So, so Mick Hagen, who is just like a, a brief acquaintance friend of mine had just started this new social media company in San Francisco and had got like, he was getting venture funding for it. And he even made like a rap video for it to like pitch <laughs> for funding. You guys should watch the rap video. It's, it's honestly like legit. Um, do you know, uh, do you know Dave Peterson? Mm-hmm. So he did like, he was there. He did the rap. He did a bunch of the rapping. They oh, wrote the really? Song. Yeah. It was like legit, like well-produced song. And I see this and I was like, <laughs> dude, I want to be a part of like, this is so exciting. Like I want to be a part of this, like exciting Silicon Valley, you know, the whole dream, right? Like live in the dream. And so, you know, um, I, it's, my wife comes into these stories a lot, but I, at one point sent her a text message from my then job. And I was like, Hey, what would you think if we moved to San Francisco and joined a startup? And she was like, sure. Like, let's do it. Like, that's just her, you know, her credit. Like, did she her come from like an entrepreneur background? No. Like, were her parents like that at all? No, her dad was a, uh, you know, retired firefighter. So like stable, her mom was a bus driver. So oh, it was like opposite as you could get. Yeah, totally. And she, but she herself is just super like adventurous, like exciting. Um, she's a fun person to be around. So I always think of, you know, you guys seen Up, you know, like uh-huh. the, when, when the couple are like young and she's like, adventure's out there. That's like my wife. Like she's just so excited to just go on to the next thing, you know? Okay. And so um, she was just as excited as, as I was. And that was a crazy experience. We moved to San Francisco, didn't get paid for like three months in the most expensive place to live in the world. Oh. So um, what was the social media company? So it's called Undrip and it was a social media aggregator. So it took like all your different feeds and it like, condense them into one feed and it was really well designed it was a great product we had we had no idea how we were gonna grow it right was it like i'm trying to think an attempt at like a tweet deck almost yeah very similar to like a tweet deck so it would take facebook instagram twitter and give you like one really good feed and it would it would kind of put its own algorithm on top of all of the individual social media feeds to say like what is the stuff that is like the most popular in your network and globally so that you were not just seeing like the echo chamber, but it was like, what is stuff that people actually care about? Yeah. Um, and this was before even a lot of the Facebook Twitter changes that they made in their algorithms. But now you have the Facebook feed back then. It was not that it was just literally like a, a chronological timeline of people's posts. Oh yeah. So we were kind of trying to be some of the intelligence on top of that. Um, I think doomed to fail in a lot of ways. One reason was like the recession was still very much in force and like finding a business that had fundamentals was what investors were looking for. And we were like this super shot in the dark. We were built on Facebook and Twitter. It was like, how are you going to invest in this when you have no idea where it's going to go? 
So we ended up running that for like a year and a half and it just was falling. Yeah. It was not going to work out. Um, but I think for me, like the experience of going through that and, you know, working that environment with some of the smartest people I've ever worked with in my life was just like what I learned from it was way more important than any financial gain that we would have gotten from it. What so, were you doing for them? So I was, a, I was an engineer and, um, and we only had like five or six people. So I think at least four of us were engineers. Um, and so we were just building like crazy. I mean, it was, it was like one of the most complex products I had built up until that point. Cause we were taking in like millions and millions of like data points and trying to process them and then digest them into a feed that you could like, go through and have it be valuable for you. And so all of, all of the problems were super intriguing. Um, the excitement of like live or die, you know, and, and growth and funding and all that was super exciting. Living in San Francisco is just an amazing experience in and of itself because it's just such a density of really highly talented, like interesting people. And so you'd go to lunch and just like see, you're like, Oh, that guy's a VP at Facebook or whatever. Like just, just, you're just so close to so many cool things happening. It felt like, um, just felt like you were a part of something big, you know? So it was a cool experience. And, and I ended up joining at the end of that when it was clear it wasn't going anywhere. I ended up joining Garrett G at scan. Uh, one of my friends was one of the, okay, yeah. was one of the uh, partners there, Kirk, we met and he convinced me to join scan. They were in the middle of moving back to Utah from, from San Francisco. So I connected with them over there and they were like, Hey, why don't you move back to Utah? And I was like, yeah, this whole like $3,000 a month in rent thing is like, kind of hurting. Uh, that sounds like a great idea. Um, and plus like we, we realized at that point we were at a growing family we had three kids at the time. It was like, how were you surviving? I, I don't know. We weren't <laughs> in some ways, like we were definitely struggling financially in, in a few areas. Like those were some of the like harrowing moments in our marriage where we sort of looked at each other and be like, so what bill do we pay this month? You know what I mean? Um, and that those, those experiences can be really good as long as you survive them and outlast them, you know, as long as you can look back on them. Yeah. As long as you can look back on them and not get crushed by them. And thankfully that was the case for us with um, your wife still with your wife, still the same, house, house, still the, the same family. wife, yeah. <laughs> yeah. sleeping in the same bed. Yes. Uh, that was, <laughs> that was definitely like we, we grew in so many ways during that experience and not because we like were any definition of success. It was just like, we survived. We figured some things out. We learned more about each other and ourselves um, how did you keep your enthusiasm from like each project? Like, cause it, I mean, it sounds like as you got going, you know, and it didn't work out how you wanted it to, like, how did you not let discouragement creep in and kind of overtake you? Wow. That's a really good question. Uh, Dopamine. I think, <laughs> uh, lots of it. <laughs> I was going to say other drugs, but no, I'm yeah. just kidding. That was not a part of it. That was not part of it at all. No, I think, I, Bishop. I mean, <laughs> Bishop. My wife and I, I think one of our positive traits is we're just like relentless optimists. Okay. So it's like, there's always, the glass is always half full. There's always something to be grateful for. There's always a reason to say, we'll get out of this, you know? Um, and, and I think this is, again, something my parents just kind of taught me was like, they're very much sort of like by the sweat of your brow folks, like they, they just make it happen. Right. And, and small business owners, that's what they are. It's, they just make stuff for happen. Sure. And so that was sort of ingrained in me. And so I never felt like I couldn't, um, like, you know, I, I never felt like I was out of control of our situation. It was like, look, things suck. Yeah, things are bad. But you know what? Like, we'll figure out a way. We'll get through this. And, and the, you know, worst case scenario was always, well, I just get another job, which honestly is not that bad of a, a worst case scenario. So it's like, okay, the business fails. I get a job. Fine. Which is kind of what happened with Scan. You know, like Scan was doing well. They had just raised a series A. They had a 
a lot more money than we had it on drip and it seemed like they were a super stable company right and so uh with that, benefits with with benefits yeah okay good with benefits this time <laughs> we have so that. yeah so we moved back to utah and and my wife's super excited because we finally can like buy our first house like we put a down payment on our first home we move into our home everything's great and I start on another harebrained scheme, which was Dev Mountain. And it was like, uh, it, I think she had a little bit of PTSD for a while. It was actually the <laughs> hardest sell I've ever had with her was, was Dev Mountain because she was like, wait a minute, we just barely paid off our debt. We just barely got into this home. And you're telling me like now you're going to take all of that away, right? All the security is going to go back out the window. And How long had you been at Snap? So at Scan, I was Scan, there. Not Snap. Uh, I was going to well, say, did Snapchat. I miss one? It, it's yeah. Snapchat now. Yeah. It was Scan at the time. Yeah. Um, I oh, still, I still, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So I they, still remember that Shark Take pitch. Yeah. So they they sold to Snapchat yeah. after I left. Uh, oh, wow. A while after I left. Wow. Yeah. So it's like the QR code. Don't you remember? Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, yeah. I remember. Wait, like you guys invented QR code? No, no, no. So, so Garrett and, and the Scan team basically invented the most popular app for scanning QR codes. Interesting. Nowadays, you just pull out the camera and it automatically camera, right. does it. But yeah. back then, it was like you had to use an app for it, and they were the top app for scanning wow. QR codes. So they had millions of users. It was crazy. They just had so they had, they had a lot of cool stuff going it's on. It's crazy how like how quick these companies can peak and then just be irrelevant. Yeah, it's well, crazy. Especially with that. I mean, yeah, they they all have moved on to bigger and better things, and and even Scan itself got folded into Snapchat, and they've built some really cool things for them. So nobody really came out a loser in that scenario. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. Like if if there's like one horse you're you're hitching your wagon to, and if something shifts, even with yeah. that drip, like if Facebook decided to cut us off, we were done, right? Yeah. It's so not, often it's, that's the case. Well, it's kind of what you learned earlier, right? Like yeah. where you have to make sure there's yeah, you know, a a, a full lineup of projects. Yep. To be, to kind of, you have to have like a safety net almost. Yeah. Because you're right. Like as fast as technology changes, you know, you think of Facebook five years ago oh, or man. whatever it was, like yeah. you would have thought like, let's go. But yeah. now it just seems, it's still huge, of course. Right. But I mean, it just seems to be coming so less and less so relevant yeah. Yeah. as new things come up. Anyway, it's just, it's yeah. got to be a crazy ride. Yeah. So like how long were you at Scan before like the dev meant the dev mountain idea started to kind of percolate. So they were kind of in parallel because as I was moving back, as we were moving back to Utah, I was kind of having one of these, like, what does it all mean moments, you know, where I'd worked on all these fun things. Nothing had really been successful, which was fine. Like I didn't feel put out by it, but it was sort of like, well, what is, what am I going to build that's really meaningful, you know? And, and I'd heard some like pitch or conference talk or something like that uh, from like a developer conference where they were talking about like solving for the bottom of the pyramid. In other words, like what are the, what are the things that really affect most of society today? And education was, was clearly like one of those things like Portuguese. Yeah. Portuguese was on that. No. <laughs> that was yeah. huge for you. <laughs> I knew I needed to get back into Portuguese. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I mean, education kind of like stuck with me as something that AI was always passionate about. Like, even whether it was building educational tools or teaching at UVU, which I did for a while. Like I just loved the idea, not, not only of building things, but helping other people be empowered to, to build something. Right. And so, you know, education was like this thing where I was like, I feel like I need to pattern my life more around this, this thing of education. Um, And so while I was, you know, getting integrated with scan and coming back to Utah and everything, I was like, I'd noticed that there were these coding boot camps popping up and I was like, Utah needs this. Like Utah absolutely needs a coding boot camp. And so I started it as just a night and weekend thing because I had a job. Right. So I'm like, you come after work or after school, 
we'll teach you how to code three or four nights a week and Saturdays. And, and then like, let's see what happens. Right. It's like, what kind of stuff were you teaching there right at the beginning? It was all web development based and it was, it was completely, uh, I mean, it was, it was just like whatever was coming out of my head. I mean, the, the, the first cohort were all, I mean, they were all guinea pigs, right? Because it was <laughs> brand new. I had never done this before. I had taught before, but I had no idea what I needed to teach them. Yeah. And every day it was like, what do I need to teach tonight? Hmm. Okay. And I would like make it up that day, right? Uh, and, and then we would go through it. And then after I that, I was like, that. It, it was crazy. And so then it was like the next night, I, I would have to think, okay, well, how far do we get last night? And how should I change tonight based on what happened last night? And it was just super crazy. Like every day was different. Um, so was it just like live classes? So people would come. Yeah. Did you have like, were you at a university? Were you at like a library? So like, this what was at the startup do? building, if you okay. remember. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. we were at the startup building. Uh, they gave us a room in the startup building and it was like, here's where your class is going to be. I set up, you know, a projector and we and we set up some chairs and Colt and Tyler came in and they were helping, you know, figure out the business and get our logo figured out and all that kind of stuff. And I was just focused on teaching the class. Like that was my my main thing. I was like, you guys help me with the business. I'll focus on the class. And so I was just trying to, you know, make it valuable, make it like actually stick with these students. And it kind of came to a point where... Were your stu- sorry, were your students all college kids? Yeah, most of them. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I don't know if they were all actively in college, but they were all like college aged, okay. you know, like Did early. Did any of them drop employees. out realizing that I should just learn this stuff and stop learning Portuguese <laughs> <laughs> for I, 40 grand? I, I don't know if any of them dropped out of college at that point, but the, the moment that was really the turning point for me was when one of the guys in the class, he was working a job and it wasn't going very well. He was getting let go and he was like super nervous. He was like, should I, he's like, I might need to drop out of this, this class and just like go get a real job somewhere. And I, I can't remember exactly what I told him, but I remember just being like, well, just stick it out with us, like finish out this cohort and, and see what happens. And he ended up getting a job. Like a new job in technology wow. that he because didn't of what have he had learned. because of what he had learned, and that to me was like That's this awesome. huge moment where it was like, oh, this isn't just like fun. Come learn something like this is life changing stuff, especially for this guy. Amen. Changed his life, and he was like our first and probably our most like vocal advocate ever because it, for him it was like life changing, you know. Yeah. And that was when I saw the potential of like, oh, this isn't just a fun class. This is life changing stuff, right? It's like when you did your first class, was it I'm starting a business or it was like, I want to just try this out? It was totally try it out on the side. It was like, maybe I can teach some classes and then have a real job at the same time. You yeah. know, it was never... So I was like, just kind of scratch that itch a little bit. Totally. I mean, I had I had people ask me, so when you wrote the business plan for DevMind, I'm like, wait, wait, there was never a business plan. <laughs> I never sat down and said, in year three, we will do this strategy. <laughs> like it was just completely, it just emerged out of these experiences that we were having. You know, Isn't it further so, proof? Yeah. Isn't it so where most of the business is almost all of our guests that have been on here it's the same story but yet like in school okay here's your 45 page business plan and your marketing and your go to market and your it's like everybody thinks every entrepreneur has everything so together Uh he didn't even know what he was teaching the class the next day (laughs) you know what i mean like and that's totally but i love that entrepreneur and it's real and it's it's teaching (laughs) yeah well and it's teaching a life like that's always been I always just rag on college because I think it's just such a waste of time and money for 80% of the people doing it. They're going to go and not ever use anything that they learn from there to really like get like they're the job that they're going to get out of school has nothing to do with what they learned in school. In most right? cases. Yeah. It, right. Yeah. Like 80% of the time. So it's like, I want college to be what you offer. Like that's what college should be. It's like job core. Like my little brother, hopefully he doesn't get mad at me for saying this, but 
Like he dropped out of high school. Like it just wasn't his thing, but he, he wanted to finish, but with ADHD, like really bad, he just, he needed to get into a trade and that's what job core is like the, the state pays for you to go learn one of the five trades. He wanted to be a carpenter and now he owns this super successful carpentry business Yeah, and he, you know, and he graduated high school because of it, but it's like, that's what education needs to become. Yeah. Like we are so behind on, it's just so inefficient. Well, like it, it became, you, you gave somebody a whole life and, yeah. and how long was he at, at the, in the program? It was for? like 12 weeks. Yeah. Holy crap. And like, like, what was the cost of it? Uh, I think our first tuition was like $4,000. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. That's, that's a, so crazy. That is amazing. It, it seemed crazy to ask people that, that amount of money. Uh, cause I just, it, it was a lot of money, $4,000. Well, my next question is like, imagine being started like, okay, that was one month rent though. Yeah. You know, you, for you, right. Like what you sacrificed to build the knowledge that you had and the skills that you were able to teach. Like you were, you were broke as a joke trying to live in San Francisco yeah. to learn all like how scared were you to quote that first price? Oh, it was terrifying. And I actually, I, the good thing was, is I, I mean, I knew we were onto something when we started talking about and advertising and I just had tons of people coming to me saying like, I want to be in. Yeah. So then it was cool because I could be selective and be, you know, t I actually interviewed every student and like accepted them oh, partially really? because I wanted them to feel like it was an exclusive thing. Cause it was like, For I couldn't, sure. I obviously couldn't have like 50 people in a classroom. That would be crazy. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that they were the kind of people that were going to come in and actually learn, right? Like this is something that's sort of an ongoing theme in my life and, and a principle about education in general is that so often we think of, uh, we're kind of conditioned to think of education as this transactional experience. Like I go to college, I pay my tuition and therefore I should have a job at the end of it. And the problem is education is not transactional. Like you, it's more of a partnership, right? Like you come pay me tuition. Yes, I'm, I'm going to provide you an experience, but if you choose not to engage in that experience, you're going to waste your money, right? Yep. And so I needed to make sure the people that were coming into class had a learner mindset, right? Like they they could figure stuff out. They were okay with some ambiguity. They had the ability to kind of like think outside the box and not just like get freaked out and say, I don't know, because the teacher sucks type yeah. of thing, you know? Well, in essence, that's the product you're selling as well. Like you want success stories. Like you want to yeah. teach people and have them go out into the marketplace and get jobs and yeah. and be able to say like yeah, as much as, i learned all this here totally yeah. like right? as much as they were investing in him you were investing 100 in them yep 100%. right yeah um was there people you just say no to yeah i remember in fact i can remember a few individuals that i said no to that i felt really bad about because uh, we just didn't have the room or because i just felt like the expectations were off what i what i quickly learned in this business if you look at it in, in, as, in terms of a business was that it was all about expectations if if they came in expecting to do nothing and receive a job, like that's that's a bad match and, and they were not going to have a good experience. But if they came in expecting to work hard and to have the opportunity to apply those skills to get a new job, then like that was a lot better expectations. And so a lot of even our, 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 uh, our orientation for many years was like, the first day was like, look, here's how you have to approach this to be successful. Stop. Like, don't think you can just come and sit at the back of the room and fall asleep and you're going to get somewhere. This is not credentialism. This is <laughs> right. not like university, which is like you get a piece of paper. All you get here is skills. And so if you don't apply yourself to get those skills, that's on you. And guess what? Employers are not going to hire you just because you completed a boot camp. Yeah. They're going to hire you because you have skills, right? So again, this is a partnership. This is not a, a transaction. Well, it's like degrees now. You know, it used to be that, like you said, transactional, like 
I ha- if I have a degree, I'll get a better job. Nowadays, a lot, I mean, unless you're a doctor or a lawyer or some specialized whatever, people want results and experience. They don't really give a crap about where you went to school, yeah. what your GPA was, yeah, or what absolutely. your major was. Like, yeah. you know, that's why you, you, you need to go and learn something. Like, that is one thing about UVU, like the adjunct professors. Like, you've got somebody teaching, like yourself, that is in it, yeah. like in it right now. Like I am teaching you current things that you should be learning and not just curriculum that's probably three to five years behind, especially in your line of work. Oh, totally. I mean, it's like six months ago. It's like last semester is like no longer applicable to what we're doing. Yeah, there was a, it was actually a competitor that said this, but he was talking about their, um, their boot camp, and he was talking about how he'd gone to a local university and it was asking a professor about Ruby on Rails, which I don't know if you're familiar, but it's a, it's a programming framework, right? Uh, I knew that language slash first total. And, 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 like, and it's like, if you're Ruby a pr- Tuesdays, or? <laughs> <laughs> if you're a developer, Ruby on rails is like, everybody knows what it is. And he was asking a college professor about this. And the professor had no idea what Ruby on rails was, which Whoa. again, for like, for, for the normal person, that's not a big deal. But for somebody who's a web developer, you're supposed have, to be teaching the yeah, subject. It's like, you have no idea what this is. You're so far removed from the day-to-day reality of what this job actually looks right. like. That, like, how am I going to learn from this person? It's you like know? asking me what a brisket is. Like, if uh-huh. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wait, you teach people how to barbecue and you don't know what a brisket is? Right. They're very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So coming from San Francisco... Did you come with, uh, I got to raise money, I got to go venture? Like, did you have that whole mindset? Because that's, I mean, that's uh, how that if place had, is built, right? Yeah. If I had thought of it like a business, I probably would have done that. But okay. I didn't, I thought of it literally as a side hustle, like a, just a project. And honestly, not even a financial one. It was just like, hey, I want to give, I want to I want to have this part of my life be fulfilled of like education and technology. And so I'm just going to teach classes and, and hopefully I can cover my bills with it. And, and if I make some money on the side, great. Like, hopefully that means I've done something good. That whole bottom of the pyramid thing is so smart. Like, that's a, that's some, like, deep stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bet uh, that's just something that everybody, to think, like, how do I create, you know, I mean, I want to create something that people can use and take, and, and you will never run out of potential projects Uh right and students yeah like it's it's they replenish and frankly it's making the world a better place Uh because everything that we do is right here i mean it it's such a smart way to go about starting a business yeah thinking from the bottom up like Mm -hmm. that. yeah i mean you look at human needs right humans need connection they right. need they need knowledge they need growth right and and if that's what if that's kind of the way you frame your life or at least for me my career of, of like how can i focus on human needs and making like the human condition better then you're right you'll never run out of good ideas right. cuz guess what like a really good restaurant helps connection helps people connect helps people be happy right or or you know obviously like a well-done education is going to change people's lives in a huge way and so yeah it's like i I wanted to be in a place where i knew the work every day that i was doing was going to like have some long-term impact on people's lives when did it become a business uh I think after the second cohort, when we had like twice the number of applicants. When you say co, explain cohort so yeah, for me. A cohort was just like, a isn't class. that a sidekick usually? Like my cohort, <laughs> my, my cohort. cohort. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> my cohort Robin over here. Yeah, no. exactly. Um, a, we 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 so like a go, semester. Yeah, it was it a be... it was a group of students, so a class oh, of students. Okay. Yeah, okay. we called them a cohort. Gotcha. Um, so we had our first cohort, and I and, know I'm not the only one that was wondering hey, what that meant. Yes, right. you are. So will you guys comment out there <laughs> so I don't feel stupid? Like I was wondering too. It's okay, Cameron. <laughs> yeah. So our second cohort came along. We had like twice as many applicants as the first time. And it was clear, it became pretty clear to me that the only thing that was holding this back from growing was my time, right? If I could give it more time and attention, it would grow. If I couldn't, it would always just stay. That Were you day. the only one teaching? I had recruited just a couple of uh, teachers that I paid per class. Like okay. they would just come in and teach. I had this thesis early on that... Um, that I wanted like actual industry professionals that were working at jobs to come in and teach every class. And that sort of, that sort of held true throughout the years to a varying degree. Um, but that was, that was an original thing that I did. And so I just paid them every class they did. I paid them well, two or 300 bucks or something. I can't okay. remember what it was. Um, so they made decent money. Like it was incentivizing for them to come and teach a good class. Cause yeah. if they did well, I'd have them come back and do more. If they didn't, then they for didn't sure. get an invitation. Um, but yeah, it just got to this point where it was like, okay, the only thing holding this back is I have a job. And if I didn't have a job and I could focus all my time on this, we could really, really blow it up. And so Tyler and Colt and I got in a room and we were like, okay, what does this look like? How do we do this? Because we didn't have enough income to support all three of us. And, and you know, they had jobs. And so it was like, how are we going to make this work? And we kind of rumbled through some stuff. Um, and and so, yeah, we, we started doing it full time. We eventually made the choice to do uh, full-time classes too, not just nights and weekends. One okay. of the biggest things we started to see was the students who were the most successful were the students that could dedicate the most amount of time outside of class. And so if you were working a full-time job and you were coming to class, like just struggling to stay awake, didn't have any time on the weekends, like it was really hard to be successful in those yeah. cases, much more successful for the people who had more time. And so we're like, well, let's just solve for that. And let's just make it built in into the tuition that we provide the time for you. So you have all day to learn this stuff. And so we launched our first full-time class about a year later after our first part-time class. And that was another big leap of faith because it was like, these people were even more taking a risk on us. Yeah. At least with the part-time students, if it didn't work out, they still had their job or their they school. Had a backdrop. These people, backdrop. yeah, these people were now leaving jobs or school, like actively like putting those to the side and come putting their faith in us. And that was another just like gut check. You know, I had this one woman that came to our first class and she was really, she was really bright, really nice person, but she was terrified that this was not going to work out and that she was going to go back and not be able to get a job. And I, I probably talked her off the ledge like two or three times a week. It felt like she would just be like all these fears coming out and she felt like she couldn't learn it. And, and guess what? Like when you're learning something really hard, it feels like you're dumb. Like, I don't know if you've ever learned language, but if you're learning, a you always feel stupid until you don't. Right. And that's sure. how it is with development where you feel like you're not getting it. You're not getting it. And then all of a sudden you start to get it. And I just kept telling her, just keep sticking with it. Like, you're going to be fine. You're going to get through this. You can do it. And finally, she was. She was able to get through it. She was able to move back to Texas, which is where she from, where she was from, and she got a job. And she again became one of these big like uh -huh. advocates for us. And uh, one, another one of those like big you know moments where I realized like okay, if we can take somebody who's terrified and not just like super smart and cocky, but somebody who really has low self confidence, and we can turn them into a developer, that's a really powerful thing. How'd the conversation go with your wife when it was like, hey, honey? We have a house, we have stability, we have insurance. I know I've been doing this on the side a little bit, but yeah, it's time to go all over again. <laughs> We're going to just throw caution to the wind. It was a tough, that, that was the toughest sell I've ever had with my wife. And what's funny is like, 
the symbol was the bed. So we had not had a bed. Like we had mattresses on the floor for yeah. years, right? Uh, you know, through San Francisco, through everything. And when we moved back, she was like really excited to get a bed. And that's when I dropped the bomb. And so her, like everything went to the bed. She's like, you mean I'm never going to get a bed? Like that was, <laughs> that was like her thing. And the the bed like symbolized something. It like symbolized this security and this safety. And I was like, we'll figure out how to get you a bed. Like we're going <laughs> to do this, you know? Um, and, and it took a lot of convincing. She was, she struggled with it for a couple of weeks, but finally she, you know, came back around to her normal self and was like, okay, all right, let's do this. We'll make and it. And how many kids did you have at the time? We had four at that point. Wait, do we have four at that point? Close to four. <laughs> See, and that's wow. what's awesome. 3.75 like, kids. A lot of times <laughs> people think, oh, entrepreneurs, when you're young and single, you can take the risk. But I mean, there's a lot of really cool stories of people with full-blown families, you know. Moving willing. to Texas for seven months and leaving them at yeah. home. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, and, and that I'm, one almost cost me. Yeah. I, and I'm but sure you, you guys would agree with this, but your family is such a critical part of the success. Meaning like if I was sing if I was single and had very little obligations, I probably could have easily called it quits multiple times on some of these projects. But when you're at the end of the day, when you have to provide for a family, it's not just like your fun startup idea. It's also your livelihood yeah. that provides for your wife and kids. And uh, it's like that extra pressure is what really, it's like the honestly, fire, right? It really was for me. That extra pressure was what pushed me through a lot of stuff that I probably would have just been like, this sucks. I'm necessary. done with this. Yeah. It really is. Because you can't fail. Like you have to figure it out. I'm so much better when like my back's against the wall. Like you have to do it. Yep. It's not a fun place to be, but it, it does bring out the best in so many people, or at least requires something of them that they would not be willing to give yeah. otherwise, you know? And it was totally true uh, that way for my wife and I, where we just felt like there's no other way than to make this work. Yeah. We have to make this work. So how big's your bed now? Is it like huge? <laughs> <laughs> like a custom? We're back to mattresses on the we floor. We call them <laughs> Texas King. <laughs> Alaska King. No, no, but she still loves the bed and she's like... It's still to her like this symbol of like when we finally got stable That's enough that awesome. we could afford nope. a bed. The box spring's not on the floor. It's <laughs> we can put stuff under her bed now. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big deal. Wow. And so I mean, so you leave scan, you start Dev Mountain. I mean, did it immediately take off when you started putting attention towards it? Did you have a time when you're like, oh crap, I made a mistake? There there was one big moment where I felt like we made a mistake. So we um, as is true with a lot of businesses, you get to this point where it's complex enough that you don't know like how much money you're going to have in six months because you've got tuition coming in, but it's kind of like this and your expenses are also kind of like this and you don't really have like a, a crystal ball to say like, can we hire three people yeah. and still have money in the bank three months from now? Um, and we didn't, we just hadn't built the financial muscle yet be, to be able to do that. And we hadn't needed to. Uh, and so we made a decision to expand to Dallas. That was like our, our next big leap of faith was we had locations in, in Provo and Salt Lake and we were going to expand to Dallas. Why Dallas? Uh, I mean, it, it felt like another good, we, we call them like second tier markets, okay. right? Like we need to go start in like San Francisco or New York would be super expensive yeah. and it would be, it would probably cost us the entire business if we failed. But moving to a place like Dallas felt similar to like Salt Lake City because we understood the demographics. We understood the business need. It was still very strong, but there also wasn't so much focus in those metropolitan areas that there was a ton of competitors, right? It. So it was like low, low risk, low startup cost, that kind of a thing. Plus my wife's from Texas, um, my brother-in-law lived north of Dallas at the time, so it felt like a good place to to start. 
And, and so I, my, you know, my wife and kids and I, again, picked up, moved to Dallas to be able to start our Dev Mountain location there and pretty quickly realized within a few months that we maybe overextended ourselves because, you know, the startup costs and the cash flow and everything, we basically realized at one point and I'll, I'll never forget it. My wife won't either because we were on a, you know, living in Dallas, we, it was cool because we were so close to the Dallas Fort Worth airport and we could fly anywhere for way cheap, right? It was like, oh, we can go anywhere. And we found these cheap tickets to Manhattan. We'd never been to New York before. So we took this trip to Manhattan and I get this text message. I think it was a text message from uh, one of my partners, Tyler, one night. And he's like, hey, we've been go- going over the financial model and we're a little bit worried. And I was like, oh crap. And there was this <laughs> moment where we were on this trip where Kim's like, are you going to take the call or are you going to wait until after the trip? And I was like, I feel like I need to take the call and immediately regretted it because then it ruined the whole rest of the trip, right? <laughs> like the message that I got on the phone was basically our business is broken. We're going to die soon. We're running out of money. Like we've put ourselves in this terrible position. Luckily, it wasn't that bad, but that's the way it seemed. And you're in Manhattan. And I was in New York <laughs> at the time, living it up apparently. Um, and so it, it like started just this down spiral of, you know, like for me, I, I don't know how a lot of people deal with adversity in really good ways. At this point, we had built a big enough business. We had enough people depending on it that I felt like I had failed in like a very deep fundamental way to the point where more so than other businesses, more so than other businesses. Cause at this point I had built something that clearly was successful, Yeah, but it was failing because of my lack of ability to look at the future and see, like make basic decisions about finances and expansion. Right. And so I took a huge amount of responsibility. I really internalize the failure instead of like looking at it as a learning opportunity. And, and honestly, like you guys, I've never had suicidal thoughts in my life, but in that moment in my life, I was like having some really hard conversations with myself. Like you, all these people wow. depend on you. You failed them. If you had just never like started this in the first place, everybody would have been better off. Like your family would be better off without you. All these crazy thoughts that you start having when you're in that deep point of despair and that was that was probably one of the most difficult points in in my in my wife's like professional life was just trying to sort through all of that. We came out of it thankfully, you know, we had some really great help from some mentors and advisors and figured out our cash situation, ended up getting a loan to get through some short-term cash crunch things. And then ultimately like turned around and sold it like within four or five months after that. So it was like a quick, like low to a peak, you know, like within just a very short amount of time. So did you keep the Texas location did you stay out there we we kept the texas location but i moved back to utah after the after the acquisition because it was like i need to i should probably come back and run the business right like trying to run the company while being not there physically was a was a challenge yeah so so what like what help did like these mentors or advisors provide you that like allowed you to kind of climb out well first of all i think anytime you get into one of those um like failure points where you feel personally responsible, it becomes very emotional. And then you can't really think clearly, right? Like you can't really separate like logic from emotion because it's all wrapped up and you're having this experience. And so just having an outside perspective come in and say, no, you guys still have a good business. It still works. You just need to change some stuff. Like, like get out of this, like self pity phase and get into just like solution. Right. And so, you know, people coming in and being able to like look at our financial model and say, yeah, you just need a better financial model. Oh, okay. That's not that hard. We just need to hire somebody to help us make a better financial model. And you probably need to let some people go. That was hard, but guess what? Like that's a decision we can make that will save us rather than just like sort of wallowing in self pity and despair until everything just falls apart, you know? So having those outside perspectives and, and, you know, mentors and things was really critical for me at least to get through that. Yeah. 
what was the decision like when you decided to sell? And was that on your radar? Was that always the goal? It was never really the goal. We kind of reached a point in the company where we realized there was only two paths forward. Well, I guess three paths. One was to stay the same size we were forever and to sort of like make it a good profitable business. Uh, A lifestyle business. Lifestyle business, right? The second path was we needed to like raise money and really try to grow it, right? If we were going to continue on the growth path, we're going to have to get some help because we had learned through sad experience trying to expand in Texas that it was really hard to expand yeah. bootstrapped, right? It was, you just don't have the the financial buffer to make mistakes in a sure. bootstrapped company. So, um, so, and then the third path was to sell, you know, we find a partner that we feel aligned with and we feel like we can wrap our mission into theirs and it's going to work. And it just so happened that we got a call from a potential acquirer right after that crazy like situation happened and we really liked him. It was, it was a tough thing though, because with an acquisition, you never really know, you never have confidence it's going to happen until like it happens. For right? sure. You can't count until it's that check is cash. Exactly. So until the money hits the bank, I, I just had this fear partially. It was almost PTSD from this crazy stuff that had happened. I had this fear that, you know, the decision maker on the deal was going to wake up the morning of and just say, you know what, we're not going to do this anymore. And that would have, crushed me honestly because for a bootstrapped small company to go through all of the process you have to you have to go through to be acquired and then to have it not happen it literally costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and that could have crushed us right so even just entertaining being acquired was a huge financial risk to the company and so and the further you get into it the higher the risk becomes because now you're emotionally wrapped up into it You've, you've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in lawyer bills and it's like if the deal doesn't go through you're on the hook for everything um, so that was, it's weird when I say this because for most people, it's like, well, you sold like, you know, so, you know, sorry, your life was so hard before you sold your company, but it was honestly the hardest thing I'd ever done because well, it that was, would be hard, especially when you get to the point where it's like, it's really close and you kind of have an exact number in your head. Like I will get this much money. Yeah. And then it's like, or nothing and then, or nothing <laughs> or, or less or we than fail. nothing. Right? Or we fail. Yes. But then you kind of get excited, like, okay, if this goes through, like, this is going to be awesome. But oh my gosh, what if it? it that would be and people kept hard. Telling us, people kept telling us, don't like, don't think, like, stop putting yourself in that mindset afterwards. Right. Like, don't think about how much money. Don't even because once you start doing that, like, the whole thing can fall apart. It, it was just this huge, like, scary situation. And and I can sort of punctuate this with an experience. So the day we sold. Um, my wife and I were like, okay, we're going to take like a couple days. We're just going to go to park city and just try to decompress. Cause it was, in- you can't answer your phone one time. <laughs> Don't ruin this Don't trip. Even look at text <laughs> messages. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So we, we went up to park city and before we went to, we went to our, our favorite restaurant at the time. Um, and, and while we were sitting there down for dinner, I almost had a panic attack and this was after it was all over. So like docs were signed. Everything was everything done. was done. The money had hit the bank. It was all done. And you would have think I would have just been like, yeah, everything's wow. great. But it was like my 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 stress level and my body was so uptight with everything that had happened. It was like I hadn't still released yet. hadn't released. It's like I, I wasn't processing it yet. I had to go walk laps around the restaurant just to like calm myself down. You know what restaurant was it? I'm curious. Uh, it was Carabas oh, at yeah. the time. I mean, yeah, it was it, it was kind of like an old old favorite for us. Right. Anyway. I was just curious. Sorry. Yeah. You said restaurant. I, I wanted to say Bam Bam. It was Bam Bam. Bam Bam's even Well, no, it was in Park City, right? <laughs> Didn't you say it was in Park City? Well, we, yeah. No, it was here and then we drove up. To oh, okay. So, yeah. I thought it was in Park City. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Carabas. Well, that's what's so funny too is a lot of times when, and it's in business, anything in life, right? Where you put so much attention or worth on this single event, 
one, if it doesn't happen, you're crushed. But two, once it happens, it's almost like, eh. Yeah. Right? Like, I remember. Like, now what? Yeah. Like, there was this high school valedictorian. He called it, like, the 16th second. He's like, I worked my whole life to accomplish. And he just started listing all the stuff that he had accomplished in high school. He's like, and I did every single one of them. Except because he's like. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, it was amazing for 15 seconds (laughs) and then the 16th second happened i was like now what yeah yeah you know like you wrap up everything into this and it's awesome but then it's like now what yeah high school kid was thinking like that he's he'll probably be okay yeah it's pretty sharp it's pretty you know what i mean the speech is incredible it's i mean that's amazing if a high school kid thought of that wow yeah he'll be fine it, it is true though i mean this is just something that I think we as humans do, but we put so much meaning behind money. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, if you've if you've got money, that's all you need. It's like, no, it's not. In fact, money doesn't really change anything. It makes it so that you can not have to look at the price on a menu when you order food. It doesn't make you any more or less happy than mm-hmm. you were before. And again, like money has value. Like we need to be able to be financially like independent and free and like be able to make choices. Have you ever seen anyone frown on a wave runner before? Uh, (laughs) so the comedian daniel tosh that was a bit of his like (laughs) money doesn't make you happy he goes well have you ever seen anybody frowning on a wave runner before (laughs) i've seen i've seen really wealthy unhappy people i guess well no and that i was just being funny but yeah it's it's a hundred percent how many rich and famous celebrities have i mean robin williams it, it, it is obvious money is not Money does not create happiness, for no, sure. Absolutely not. Yeah, and, and so I went through a, a similar phase after that the, the cell where I was like, okay, so what is, like now what do I focus on? And like, what does my life mean now? Where's my value? Where's my worth? Right. I didn't even know if I was a developer anymore because I had spent 10 years as an engineer. Then I spent a couple years as a teacher. And then I spent another couple years as a business owner. And so I hadn't even written code in years, at least, you know, at least months, if not years. And so I was like, I don't even like, am I an investor now? Or am I, am I just like a, fa- do I go start another company? That sounds like a crazy thing to do. It's, it's like getting at the very end of a marathon and then somebody saying, Hey, you want to run this marathon next week? And you're like, dude, let me finish this one first. It's like, right. it's funny. Susan yesterday, she's like the absolute worst question to ask an entrepreneur is what's next. Yeah. She's like, it's, it's the same thing as asking a mom who just gave birth. Like when are you having another one? <laughs> I made that mistake. <laughs> made that mistake. Like, how many more are you going to have? Oh, yeah. man. We had our third, and we knew we wanted four. And I was like, so, babe, should we just, like, hurry and, like, crank out another one? And she, <laughs> I think she almost slapped me, you know? But that's exactly, that's what it felt like when people are like, so what's next? And I'm like, I don't I don't even think I'm through this yet. I yeah. don't even know. Well, how old were you? I mean, I was, let's see, it was 2016. So I was, like, 34, 35, Jeez. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so did you have to stay on? At Dev Mountain as part of the acquisition? There was not any like contractual obligation to, to stay on, which again, this is a funny thing because you think like, oh, well, once you have money, can't you just like, you know, like kiss everybody goodbye and just ride off into the sunset? But like what we had built was st- I still felt like ownership over that. I still felt- Still your like, baby. Yeah, it was still my baby. I felt yeah. responsible. I didn't want to just watch it crumble. And yeah. so I stayed on, you know, as long as I felt like it was as necessary and I felt like I was still a valuable part of it until I- found people that I felt like would take at least as good care of it as I would have. And then I felt fine okay. you know, stepping away at that point. But yeah, almost immediately after that ran into my now business partner, partner Prenda. And he was kind of in the very early stages of like, 
optimist entrepreneur, like we're going to change the world. Everything's great. And I was just coming off of what might've been like a really intense breakup. And so it, it felt like a rebound was like, Hey, you want to start dating? And I was like, dude, I need some time. Like I'm not ready for this yet. And so I took, I don't know, I took way too little time. My wife was like, I should have made you take a year off. I think I took like a month off or something like that. And then started back into, you know, other projects and getting into things and it, it ended up fine, but it, it was crazy. I, I just learned how, you know, just how much of your life, um, when it's wrapped up in these huge experiences in these very stressful times, you just need time to like deal with that and process it and move on to the next thing. You know, people aren't robots. They need, uh, they just need space and they need time and they need ability to like, it, I honestly felt like post-traumatic stress for a while when I thought about like the acquisition and like the, the fears that went into it and all things, I would have dreams about it. It was, um, it's just something to like, you had to work through and people, oh, boohoo, like you sold the company. Again, it's like, it's easy to say, well, money solves that. It doesn't solve that. Money doesn't solve those things. Um, so what happened with Dev Mountain then? You sell, I mean, is it still around? Yeah. So Dev Mountain's still around. Is it they, still called Dev Mountain? Yep. They still have a location. I'm on up the website. Lehigh. They've got some clever, there's a really funny line on this website. It's fun to read. <laughs> yeah. Like the one describing the iOS students. Do you know what I I'm haven't seen this, about? no. Oh. Just says, if you're, oh, where is it? It's not hard to spot the iOS students on the Dev Mountain campus. They have a swagger. <laughs> they are as passionate as the other developers, but it looks like they get out of the house more. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's I hilarious. Thought that was pretty funny. We, so, and Tyler Richards, if you, if you know him, uh, he's, he was my friend and business partner and, and he was like the, the mastermind behind the marketing copy. Like he would put these billboards up on I-15 that would just get pe at one point he put your job equals poop emoji. Like that was the, the tagline. And it was so great because it like people inside the company were like, I don't know if I want to be associated with a poop. And we're like, it's doing exactly what we want it to do, which is yeah. get people talking, you know, at one point he put, um, the kind of job your father-in-law would improve, uh, approve of or that something like that. Hilarious. He just always would come up with these great one-liners and, and stuff. For My favorite plumber. one right now, I think it's a plumber and it says, at least it's not another Domo billboard. <laughs> 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 so true. That's really it's very so true. true. That's funny. <laughs> and so what did you, so what are you doing now? So it sounds like you've gone kind of headfirst into it again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like just this week, my wife and I were like, did we, we need to get his wife on here next <laughs> you week. Seriously, should. <laughs> I just want, you. I just want to open the can of worms and just <laughs> let her vent. Yep. Like this is a safe space. Just first question. <laughs> just tell us about your bed. That all, all you have to yeah, ask. Yeah. And you'd have an hour and a half worth of content right there. Like that horse's ass. <laughs> Listen to me. I'll tell you what. <laughs> uh, uh. Let's see. Yeah. So, so Prenda is what I'm involved with now. So I, I crossed paths while at Dev Mountain, we were looking to expand in Phoenix. I was in the area, like scouting out spaces, connected with him. And we were both kind of in the education space, him and childhood education, K through eight. I was in like adult education, obviously. And uh, just like felt like this connection where we like philosophically agreed on so many things, like the way the world should be, you know? And, uh, and he, I was sort of like just a friend slash advisor. And then he came to me at one point and was like, look, I have this crazy idea for like how school could be for kids, like a full school. And, uh, and I was like, okay, tell me about it. I was about to go on like a startup. Uh, it was like a startup week, like talk. I was going to give a talk or something. And he tells me about it right before I go on stage and I could not stop thinking about it. It was like, well, this is, this is like, 
this is a big deal. Like I, it was just like turning wheels in my head. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I call my wife, tell her about it. She's like, Oh no, here we go again. Um, <laughs> and, keeping uh, the bed. I'm not answering the phone anymore. <laughs> and we have to sell the bed to make it work. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, and she was like, she, she's come to know me well enough now that she like listens and, and, you know, so what does this mean? Like, what are you committing to do? You know, cause I tend to just jump into stuff. And anyway, uh, so I luckily didn't just jump right into it, kind of worked with him as like an advisor. I even invested in the company for a while. Um, but then it got to a point where he was like, look, this is like, we need, this is growing like crazy. I need your help. Um, so the quick, like 10 second version of what the business is, it's, it's micro schools. And this was before the pandemic. So we started working on micro schools, eight to 10 kids. Um, the role of the teacher is completely flipped where they're there to help the kids be inspired to like reach their own goals rather than being like the kids being told what they're going to learn every day. Uh, so it was like a different approach, different model to education. And it was really, really successful. I mean, these kids just loved it. And the parents were like in tears saying how their kids hated school. Now they love school, hated math. Now oh. They loved math, that kind of stuff. And so we're like, there's something really powerful here. And, and he was like, I need your, I need your help. And so I joined a couple years ago. Uh, and yeah, now we're two years into it. So is that full-time everyday thing now? Yeah. yeah. How's it going? Plus. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going well. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been an even greater, like in terms of, you know, the, the scope of it, the, the amount of like product market fit, the growth potential, the total market, it's even bigger. I mean, we're, we've been growing in Arizona, basically one state for the last, uh, two, three years. And it's just been growing like crazy. I mean, we've grown like 10 X the last two years. Um, wow. And, and COVID obviously has had a huge effect on that. Uh, we're one of the few businesses that I think we're just at the right place at the right time when COVID hit. Yeah. You know, I never would have predicted that the president of the United States would tell everybody to do homeschool. And yet there we were <laughs> yeah. a year ago. It was like, everybody's like, yeah, homeschool, let's do it. You know? And so, you know, we, we thought it would take us years to get people to start asking these questions about education. And yet the pandemic sort of accelerated that by leaps and bounds. And so, um, yeah, it's been awesome. It's been a super fun ride. Interesting. So cool. What age, so what age groups are so you it's kindergarten through eighth grade? Unreal. Yeah. See, I was in my head this whole time. Like when you're talking about dev mountain, I'm like, man, you know, kids do karate after school. <laughs> like it would be so cool to have yeah. some sort of, you know, kind of what I'm sure you're teaching now. Like yeah. after school, you can go and I'm sure you can make coding fun for kids. Oh yeah. But I mean, that's, man. that's where he started was. So Kelly, my, my partner at Prenda, he, he started by doing after school coding programs. So we were, wow. that's why we connected is like, I'm doing adult coding programs. You're doing kid coding programs. Let's talk. Um, but as he learned like what kids needed and I was having some of the same realizations just from a different angle. I kept saying like out loud to people at Dev Mountain, I would just say, man, if we could just get these people as kids to think about education the right way, we would totally be able to teach them so much faster. Cause it felt like the first two weeks of Dev Mountain were just like, Un rewire their unlearning brains. Unlearning all the stuff yeah, they learned totally. in school, which was if I sit here, someone's going to do education to me. Uh -huh. Like that's basically <laughs> I like that a lot. learning. That Don't is, go where they do education to you. <laughs> yes. It, it's like education is this thing that happens to you while you're sitting in the back of the room. And so many people come pre-programmed with that. And you and pay so, a ton of money for it. You do. And right? and so we had to just deprogram. It was like, no, that's not how this is going to work. You have to think about this differently. You have to take on a certain mindset. This is going to be the hardest you'll ever work for an education. And if we could, I, I kept saying out loud, if we could just get kids to think like this, it would be so much easier to put them in a place like this and they'd be successful. They could learn anything they want. 
And that's essentially what he started doing was like, let's create a whole education system that's built around kids becoming learners, not kids becoming good instruction followers or good test takers, right? Um, The tests are important. They help us know how well we're doing on things, but they shouldn't be the only measurement by which we say, are we learning, right? Or measurement by which you get your funding. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, it's the wrong incentive. Yeah. There's this idea we talk a lot about, which is empowerment, right? Like how how empowered am I? How how much do I feel like I'm in control of my destiny? Do I feel like I can make choices and I'll be successful? Do I feel like I can learn anything? Or do I, do I always feel like I have to look at the adult in the room to to accomplish anything in my life? For sure. And if that's the case, even if I'm a good test taker, I'm only going to get so far. And that might've been a really good education back in the day when we needed a bunch of like industrial workers and like rule followers, assembly line, assembly line yep. workers. It was taking, it was taking farmers to industry, to industry, like yeah. factory workers. That was, that, that, that was the that idea was the, for education. We're still in it. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're still in it. I mean, the only thing somebody, I can't remember who said this, but if you take, uh, you know, somebody from 200 years ago and time travel them to now, the only thing they would recognize is school. Like everything else would be different, right? Wow. School would look pretty much the same. That's yeah. so interesting, but it's so true. Huh. So kids nowadays, they need to be able to think critically. They need to be able to problem solve in, in contexts that they don't already understand. They need to be able to like create vaccines for pandemics. You know, like yeah. that's the kind of skills we need nowadays. And it just is not, typically it's not something that kids come naturally through the education system with. Most kids come out of the, the, the school system and they're like, okay, tell me what I do next. And you're like, nobody's going to tell you what to do. So it, with the metaphor we use is, most kids and, and adults even think about education as this escalator. You get on it and it just takes you to the top and then you get off and somebody hands you a job, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it turns out you get to the top of that escalator and the rest of the real world is more like a mountain climbing wall and you have to figure out your way to scale. And guess what? None of those kids going up the escalator have ever learned how to climb a mountain wall or, you know, the, the mountain climbing wall before. So it's like, well, let's just teach kids to climb the wall and then when they get up there it's going to be like oh this is just another right. another section I got to right. do. I'm just going to I'm going to apply the same skills I learned here there and I'll be successful. Well, it's like Montessori's Montessori. Am I saying that right? Like that has kind of always, you know, we're not, we're seeing almost less of them now, but that's what it always was. It's like, let's see where the kid wants to go and then we will take the kid there. Yeah. And you know, we talk a lot about ADHD and school is like, you know, I look at my 11 year old Dodger and I'm like at 11 years old, I should never see a kid just sit at a table. Just like, just miserable and then you come over and you read what he's trying to do and i just want to light it on fire i was like this is the biggest waste of your time ever and it's making an 11 year old like go outside and play well and what is that outside and build something like just just go be a kid and what, Relax. And what does that 11-year-old start believing about himself when he doesn't get it? 100%. You're stupid. You can't do stuff. My, my wife and I, we lived this with our second child, our, our oldest son. He is the greatest kid in the world. He's super social. He, he's not as, as quick to pick up on like math stuff as his sister, his older sister is. And so he starts having these experiences where it's like, oh, I didn't get that. I must be dumb. dumb yeah. I must not get math. Math is hard. Math. Is, I mean, these are things that you learn at a very early age that never leave you. Most people you talk, I'm very, I'm really bad at math. When did you learn that? It's usually in like second or third grade uh-huh. that you learn you're bad at math. There's there's no reason why you should feel like you're bad at math at that young age. Yeah, you're bad at math because it takes you a little extra time to go four plus three is seven. Yeah. Right. Or you're or you realize your parents are dumb and that's a whole nother set of problems. <laughs> yeah. We watched my, my older son in, in a normal school setting, traditional school setting, 
go from like being super excited to go to school every day to being literally depressed. And it was like, it, I honestly would get emotional sometimes dropping him off Ugh. and watching him walk into school, like head down super slowly. And we're like, what do we do? This is awful. And so when we found like, the, you know, these principles and these things around Prenda, it was like, this is the answer. Like, this is what kids need. They don't need to be taught they're stupid or dumb. They need to be taught that they can learn at their own pace and they can accomplish anything they want. So is Prenda, is it actual physical classrooms or is it all online learning and it's just a structure for the online learning? So the micro schools typically take place in a home. Okay. So, so the teacher now becomes what we call a guide. So are they like certified, like a Prenda certified they're, guide? They're sort of Prenda certified, but we just take them through. We do some, obviously we want them to be safe. We sure. do background checks and fingerprint cards. We make sure they understand the model. You know, they're caring adults. A lot of them have been in education before, so okay. they understand how things work. Um, and then their whole goal is to make an environment where these eight to 10 kids in their living room can be successful. And and they spend a portion of the time in the day doing self-mastery stuff like math and reading and language. And there, a lot of it's online. There's so many good resources out there. There's no reason any teacher should have to make a brand new lesson plan for something. It's like, we have all these great tools like Khan Academy, just use those tools, right? So they spend a portion doing that. They spend a portion with social and collaborative learning where they're doing debates and Socratic discussions and they're learning how to see other people's points of view and how to defend a point of view and be persuasive. And they spend a portion of the day just creating stuff, just like working on things that are interesting to them. And that, I mean, Dodger would be in heaven. Yeah. That's the kind of, that's the kind of experience that kids just, even like my daughter, who's really academic, like very school kind of, you know, book smart type of person. She loves school. Um, she even thrives in that because it's like, oh, you mean I don't have to wait to do the next lesson of math? I can just crank through all this math today. Sure, yeah, I'm going to wow. do that. You know, that's really cool. I didn't really think of it on that side of things. Yeah, you know, it's like if you want to be the smart kid, be the smart kid. Yeah, just yeah. keep going. Yeah. There's yeah. no reason to don't artif- don't, don't be bored because right. yeah, this lesson only goes to this point, or or because 29 other people in the class are still learning it, like. The whole, I mean, we live in this incredible age of technology. Why are we still limited by 30 people in a classroom and what they happen to be learning that day? It's like, just move at your own pace. Like learn it as long as you need to, 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 to learn it. That's the amount of time you take on it. And if that's two days or two weeks, either way, that's great. So do you have mic? So are, I mean, are people practicing these micro classes all over the US then? Right now it's only in Arizona and now uh, we're moving into a new state very, very shortly. Okay. So we, we've we gone, I think we have about 4,000 students in Arizona now. Okay. And and we're opening up new states as we talk to people and get, you know, like approval and partners and things like that. We get Utah going here pretty soon? We're working on it. Yes. <laughs> Pulling Dodger out of school. Yeah. Working on it. He is out. Taya too. Like that's the thing. Well, anyone, I, I mean, so it's funny, you and I are gonna have to chat after because I'm, I was. I didn't know if I was supposed to bring that up or not. So, <laughs> I've really been wanting to talk about it. I'm in the process of like doing something very similar, but for financial literacy, because mm. the same thing, like starting at the bottom of the pyramid, like the most basic fundamental skill for most adults that they lack is financial literacy. Totally. And so, I still lack financial literacy. <laughs> you know, so we've created curriculum around this. Anyways, the idea is like, my partner is in formal education, but there's the guy out of Stanford, not Stanford, Harvard, like Tony Wagner, I think is his name. And his whole thing is traditional education. The model is just broken. Like we've got to get him out. There should never be another multiple choice test ever administered. You know, this is a guy I coming like multiple choice tests coming from Harvard. Anyways, it's just so interesting that like this, this school model to your point, 
he didn't say it the way you did how you know you could fast forward 200 years and the only thing you recognize is school that is mind-blowing to me but that, it's, that but it's comment, true like crazy. nothing has evolved right you don't get education or teaching anymore. Or paddles. Yeah. You might not be, yeah, swatted or spanked. But it's but still the same thing. There's yeah. still going to be a bell ringing. Yeah. Uh-huh. It tells you it's time to get up and go do something. Uh-huh. Like yeah. you, you think about it and it's just bizarre. It's like, when did we decide that bells were? It's like we got Pavlov's dogs here. It's like, okay, bell time. Let's all go out to, to recess. You know? <laughs> uh-huh. I love it. Single file lines. It's yes. so true. <laughs> Everything's well, like the a hours. Fire drill. Yeah. I've never understood the amount of hours. And then we're sending kids home with homework. Yeah. Like kids. Yeah. It's so stupid. Anyway. It is. And, and I mean, you probably saw this when the pandemic first hit. You're, you know, so many parents, their kids come home and it's like, wait, this is what this is what you're doing all day? Like, why does this take so much time? Or after the testing's done in like April or May, and I remember my son <laughs> a couple years ago, I was like, so what are you doing at school? He's like, well, we're practicing for a, a dance that we're doing for like an end of school assembly. And I'm like, wait, what? Uh-huh. Like, we're, we're not like we get in trouble if we take you out of school to go on a vacation or something, but yet you're learning about how to do a dance for, or you're singing a song or something. I'm like, that, that there's Utah value song for field day. <laughs> I'm like, there's value in that. Sure. But like, I, I don't know. It was just, it was felt completely backwards to me where we have this compulsory education where kids have to come and learn, you know, <laughs> how to do songs and dances just because the teachers are done teaching. Like they're, they're done. And we're paying property taxes for that. Yeah. A lot. I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. well and even even the teachers like the the teachers bless their hearts are given such impossible circumstances like here's they're they're all set up to fail here's a tiny amount of money and here's 30 kids and and they're all at different levels good luck right like teaching it's it's impossible it's so hard and so many of the the educators that come into to prenda are like this is what i've always wanted to do with education i love kids i love seeing them learn i feel like i can actually do it in this setting I'm stoked about this. <laughs> Me too. Like, I love this. I can't wait for this fire up in Utah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, all you need to do is get five people to sign up under you and get those five people <laughs> to sign up under them, and we'll be... <laughs> I haven't told you that part of it yet. <laughs> now it's in Utah. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> Are there any juices involved or... Well, that's what that's skincare what makes, product. That's what makes the learning happen. Uh, right. Is you take a little... It's financial of it. literacy. Oh, for sure. This is great. Marketing. It's everything. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Such a cool story. It's and great. I can't wait to see where Prenda goes. I can't wait to talk to his wife. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So um, for people who are listening, we actually have a lot of people like around here, Arizona. Where can they find Prenda? Prenda.co or PrendaSchool.com. Okay, cool. So check it out. And can I ask where Prenda came from? Like the name Prenda? Yeah. What? So it's, um, if you, I don't, do you like speak Spanish? I do. Uh, that's, that's yeah. kind of what I figured it was. So, so it's, it's kind of like the, the root of like aprender right. like, to learn, but it also in, in Portuguese actually. So this is why, you know, right. I didn't come up with the name. The degree but, is finally coming through. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All these uh, years later. In, in, in Portugal, Portuguese Prenda means a gift. So it's kind oh, of this okay. nice confluence Very of like cool. learning and wow. a gift and this cool thing. Very cool. Sweet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I love it. It was great. And you're a bishop. We haven't even talked about that. It's it's probably better that we don't. (laughs) My gosh, this poor guy. He's teaching everyone and he's responsible for their salvation. No big deal. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) You're a good man. All on a good day's work. Thank you. Thank you.